1: Australian bars.
0: Titty discs
1: and That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia. and Whatever it is. The worst titty get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you
0: Read them. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another... This is the body-rific, spectacular, stupendous, whatever, episode of... Fan holes Podcast. Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your joyful hosts tonight, and I am not alone. I have two, count them, two of my fellow fanhole cadets with me. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey,
2: it's Mike and. I can't help you, but I can give you specifically worded advice.
1: And this is Justin.
0: So yeah, I, I know it's cryptic and everything, but we, we, we are on a anniversary kick, thanks to Justin. And hey, when, but this when, one
1: wasn't my idea, dude. It, <laughs> it <wasn't>,
0: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. But you, you were the one who came up with the anniversary thing. And, and when I was looking through, like, <laughs> comic books that, that had, like, I, I was actually thinking of, like, future you know like like you know 2022 and 2023 anniversaries and when when i was doing that i went oh holy shit this thing's 20 years old and like and and if we don't do it like now then maybe we'll never do it so i was like hey let's talk about star trek the modala imperative and this was a bi-weekly released mini series that came out from dc comics in 1991 so yes it's it's 20 years old the the idea basically was and 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 maybe it's kind of burying the lead for for future shows but what we're doing is we're covering the original series star trek modala imperative one through four and there's also a next generation modala imperative miniseries that ties into it and it's it's kind of a a generational Story you know that kind of impacts both crews but through the generations and everything and the, the cover price on these were a dollar seventy-five and you, you knew it was a big deal because they got me to pay a dollar seventy-five for all of these bi-weekly released issues and it was on sale from May 28th 1991 to July 9th 1991 and the cover dates were July 1991 to September 1991 and the editor was robert greenberger the writer was michael jan friedman the artist was pablos marcos the letterer was robert m pinaha the colorist was tom j mccraw and of course there are some gorgeous gorgeous covers by adam hughes we are covering the the four issues all together i have some some Justin-style synopses Yay. that come courtesy of Star StarTrekComics.info so to thank them I, I didn't even change a goddamn word like they're so short like I didn't find anything wrong with their their uh, wackadoo internet English it's beautiful so thank you Star StarTrekComics.info the story titles A Little Seasoning Tools of Tyranny The Price of Freedom For Whom the Bell Tolls on a previous visit to Modala, Captain Pike and the Enterprise recommend the planet for Federation membership in ten years. Now, Kirk and Chekhov beam down to observe any changes which may have taken place. They find a planet run by a police state and are arrested by rebels. Dun dun dun. Spock and McCoy beam down to Modala to look for Kirk and Chekhov. In prison, Kirk and Chekhov try to learn where the advanced weapons used by the police came from. They also plant the seeds of rebellion by passive resistance. Spock and McCoy help the Enterprise locate Kirk and Chekhov in prison. Kirk and Chekhov help the other prisoners engineer a mass escape, and the Enterprise loses track of them. Spock and McCoy are captured by guards looking for escaped prisoners. Dun-dun-dun! The rebels help Kirk and Chekov rescue Spock and McCoy from execution. The landing party beams back to the Enterprise without learning the origin of the advanced weaponry that they found, but with the hope that the police state will still be overthrown someday. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun! And that's it. That's that's the the Justin style synopses. I figured they, they, they work, right? I mean, that's basically what it's about. And and yeah, and I, I figured, like I said, since this is since this is 20 years old and, and it's something that I thought we'd have fun talking about, since we're talking about a lot of Star Trek anniversaries this year, it would be something fun to throw into the mix again. I mean, there, there's no denying. I mean, for, for me, like. There was the allure of, there, there's, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned, you know, the, there's, there's an allure to a tie-in with, you know, this was one of the first times that they tried to advertise, you know, oh, these series are going to run parallel with one another, it's going to be a original series miniseries and a next generation miniseries and they're somehow going to tie in together so that was very exciting because that was the first time you had seen anything like that I mean to my knowledge like I, I can't think of anything else where you know there, there were later comic books where they tried to cross over with all the different Star Trek franchises but this was the first time I remember it occurring you know in real time with the next generation being on TV and everything. You know, what was funny was I, w- I was looking at this and I, I kind of noticed like, I, I don't know if it's true for, for the second through the fourth issues, but I kind of feel like everything that was advertised in the first issue, like I also bought from DC comics, whether it was like the impact comics line, the flash, like TV comic special, you know, like all the all that kind of stuff that was advertised in there. I think I bought all of it. But uh, what what about you guys? I mean, uh, Justin, you you've read this before, correct?
1: Of course.
0: Yeah. So, uh, like uh, I mean, to me this is something this is not a, a spinner rack comic for me, but this is definitely something I bought off the stands. It's very likely I bought it from the Comic Zone in Fremont, California, which of course no longer exists i think it was bulldozed into oblivion and now there are apartment complex housing stuff there or what, whatever is there now but a, a, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away I, I likely bought these fresh off the stands from comic zone
1: i believe i got mine from a comic book store in Knoxville, if i'm not mistaken like these like these four issues they would these were easy to find the Next Generation volume were not so easy for me to acquire, but I guess I'll talk about that when we get to that episode. But yeah, I like I haven't read this in 20-something years, so this was nice to come back and revisit. Yeah. And like you said, this was kind of a big event because the um, edict from the, I guess, licensed soldiers of Star Trek to DC and pocketbooks was there were to be no crossing of the streams like you they didn't want comics or novels where you know Riker runs into Captain Kirk and has to save him or or vice versa they didn't want any of that which this would drastically change like around the time Enterprise was on the air like all of that went out the window and they started doing like all these books that crossed over I mean the, they wrote a book several years ago where Seven of Nine was propelled back in time and is hanging out with Captain Kirk and she's going to all these different planets that are familiar if you're if you've seen the original series like they go to some very familiar places and they're like it's kind of like they're revisiting the not the greatest hits but like the the lesser episodes like some of those season three stinkers it's like it's kind of like a fun romp it's like hey remember like this episode like yeah pu spock's brain like that's not so great yeah well like captain kirk and seven and i like they're gonna go back there and hang out and like do stuff And i was like okay i'm on board for that like but anyway you know in uh in 1991 you weren't getting any of that so any any kind of comic that was gonna have crossing over or anything like that was a big event that was to be to be devoured i mean this is like you know several years later like when when sulu showed up on voyager like that was yeah. also a huge yeah. huge deal yeah. i remember being super excited for that going back to these four issues like the these feel like they could have been like these feel like they could have been like the basis for like a a two-parter of the original series like i mm. think they're i think they're that enjoyable i like the focus on checkoff you know, he's, he's got a little bit of a uh, hero worshiping for Captain Kirk. And that kind of, that comes out at certain moments. And he's all nervous and stuff on the bridge. And Scotty chews him out. And, and you know, Sulu's like, hey, man. Like, I remember what it was like to be a to be a green-horned ensign. Like, it, it's cool. Like, you can talk to me. And Chekhov's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I'm cool. And then you can see later on, like, as soon as Sulu leaves, like, Chekhov's just like, his nerves are shot. He's like, oh, man. Because, like, Captain Kirk has chosen him to go on this away mission and check up on the, the you know, oh, the God. status of this planet. Yeah. I also like it. It's very brief. I think in issue two, you get like a nice little cutaway of like nurse chapel talking to Dr. Mm. Mabenga. I, I always wish they had had Mabenga on more episodes. Like he was in two episodes, original series. He shows up occasionally in comics and novels. I don't know. He was just one of those characters that, you know, if, if you're not one of the core cast, you know, like like if a character showed up like more than once, you're like, hey, it's that guy. Like, hey, it's you know, it's it's uh, it's you know, Lieutenant Kyle. It's uh, you know, it's Riley. It's oh, it's Doctor Mabenga. and those characters would kind of like get fleshed out a little bit more in different books and novels. But I was just like, oh yeah, Mabenga's in this. I kind of wanted, you know, when like McCoy is trying to talk Spock into going down to the planet and looking for Kirk and Chekhov... I, I remember thinking, like, it would be funny if, like, Spock got one over on McCoy and, like, chose Mabanga to go down with him instead of McCoy, but that mm. didn't happen. I was like, that would be kind of funny, you know, Spock's like, yes, Doctor, you have proven your case. It is logical to go down and search for the captain. Doctor Mabanga, join me in the transporter room. You can you can just hear, like, Doctor McCoy being like, you green-blooded, you Vulcan, like, I'm going to get you for this, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, these are these are fun to revisit
0: yeah i I like that they because they, you you hit on some points that stood out to me revisiting this like that they they had sort of the you know the the change of shift on the crew you know like that that kind of idea like where they, they you know clearly like you know Sulu can't be at the helm twenty four seven, right? He's got to have some relief on his shift, right? And it's like if the 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 cast we know are the day shift, you know, it's like oh, here's you know Do- Dr. Mbanga, you know, doing doing the night shift and mm-hmm. taking over from McCoy or whatever. And then you know you had some sequences where they they had who was it Mr. Leslie, you know, talking to to Sulu and he kind of went oh or, 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 or talking about Sulu you know or whatever and and going like hey remember you know when when uh, we were all you know stuck on the, you know the planet with Landru and shit like this is kind of <laughs> yeah. like that you know like so they have a reference to the return of the Archons and everything you know which is that's why I was like I am of the body you know like all that fucking shit. Joy to you friend peace and
1: contentment will fill you you
0: will know the peace of laundry. So, so yeah, I, I I did enjoy that. I I'm I'm guessing, and and I'm I'm just I'm dovetailing into this, but I'm guessing uh, I'm pretty sure, Mike, you've said this is this is the first time you've come to this at all, right? This is the first time you've read this.
2: Absolutely.
0: And, like, what was your, I mean, I I know you didn't have all the the kind of hype that we had going into it. I mean, I hope we we suitably conveyed the excitement we had for the potential for them to cross the streams. And I'm, I'm also kind of glad, you know, Justin elaborated on that. Because I, I, I knew that was the case, but I didn't quite know that there was, like, you know, previous edicts not to do it. And that's part of the reason why this was so exciting. I think just as a kid, I just knew they didn't do it very often and now they were so i was just excited about it or who knows maybe in the you know the the comic previews or some some hype magazine you know in the comics you know maybe i was being hyped to it where it was like oh, boy, you know, buy seven copies, you know, this is going to be a huge, you know, hot, you know, <laughs> modal imperative, hot, you know, like that kind of like maybe something like that was going on. But yeah, what what's your what's your take on this having, you know, maybe not having had that, you know, hype machine, you know, working for you? And or, or I guess maybe the only hype machine that that is being uh, uh, run, you know, me and Justin of the gerbils in our little mini hype machine wheel or whatever trying to get you to read this but but what's your what's your ultimate takeaway from from having checked this out
2: um i, I liked it a lot it, it really did feel like a classic episode of like you know the uh, the, the, the original series and like I, I really enjoyed reading it like i was never like bored or anything i think everyone was in character like i liked the art but um like I was kind of disappointed, like because when I saw like the covers, I was like, "Oh, did Adam Hughes draw this whole thing?" Mm-hmm. And I, then I was like, "Oh, it's just the covers." But yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the covers are really nice. I mean, like not to not to be crass or whatever, but man, like Ahura is banging on that first cover. <laughs> like, that's what I was, like, <laughs> like I was just like, "Oh man, this 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 is beautiful art." Yeah, but
0: like that's that's kind of what Adam Hughes does, right? Everybody's yeah, banging but, when Adam yeah, Hughes draws. Yeah, exactly,
2: but. But you know, like I mean, the art was perfectly fine, like inside. But I was just a little let down that it wasn't like Adam Hughes the whole time. But no, but like I, I really did enjoy this. Like I said, it, it was a it was a typical I felt like Star Trek, like the original series plot. Like you know, they the and like I was kind of surprised. Like I was kind of like, oh, is this like Chekhov's first day or something? Or like almost, you know,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Like it seemed like that because I, I would, like you know, it catches. I was like. Why is, you know, why is Sulu like talking to him like that? Like he doesn't know who he is. And then like, it, you know, it took me a second to realize, oh, wait, is this, you know, this is like you check off year one or something. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, yes, father, I shall become a vessel or something. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: uh... yeah,
2: but no, no, like, like I said, I, I, I did enjoy it. I think, you know like i joked with in my intro like i'm kind of like you know kirk like you know obeys the prime directive but like you know it's like kind of like he obeys it and bends the rules like you know like like i can't like you know help you guys but i can tell you exactly what i would do if i were in your position
0: but if i was in charge i would put this guy in charge
2: you know what you no know it's funny like i didn't really pay attention like to the guys they were talking to so like i had to go back and look like was that guy even in the cell before like he pointed him out and i was like oh yeah okay he was that guy like he yeah like, I, I don't know if, if i wasn't paying enough attention but i was like you know that man right there like he's got the look of a leader like you know follow him like you know so so yeah like you know he points out prince adam whatever and he says that guy is gonna be he-man like you know not me like so uh, yeah no no i i really did enjoy this I'm, I'm glad you guys had me read it
0: it's funny that you mentioned that because now now that you said that now now i'm like they can just rework this into a star trek he-man crossover i mean it seems like it's all there right oh man the um you know, you know what I agree with you about? And I, I, I think you both have mentioned inadvertently when you when you espouse how much this feels like an original episode of the series is and I, I just want to sort of specify for me why it feels that way. And and yeah, the art, you know, is on models. You know, everything looks like it's supposed to, of course. But I think the main reason for me why it feels that way is Michael Jan Friedman really captures the voices of all the individual distinct characters. Like, again, this is me being a a jerk face while I'm praising somebody else, but like, This is, you know, I mean, could you imagine a Brian Michael Bendis written Star Trek comic Like, and how horrible that would You know what I mean? Like, Uh... like everybody would sound exactly the same. Whereas this, it's just like, I love it. There's so many great lines in this. Like when my, my favorite one is when when McCoy is like, leave it to you, Spock, to make oppression sound like a mathematical equation. You know, like, and it's just like, dude, that's totally something that that DeForest Kelly as McCoy would say or whatever. And I love, I love at the end, like, that's what I, I was about to be like you know, uh, Batman Year One was also invented by a Russian. You know, like, like it's like, <laughs> that, that's basically how, like, it ends when he finally makes friends with Sulu. And, the, the, the you, you know, the the, the, the way Pablos Marcos draws the roll eyes on Sulu's face, it's just like, it's so perfect. Like, like so that, that aspect to it, I think, is, is really wonderful. Like, I think they, they had all that stuff nailed. You know, and for something that is essentially, you know, what might be viewed on the tv series as one of the quote-unquote budget saving episodes you know like for the most part it's like you know oh they're gonna go down to a set and they're gonna wear some some wonky period clothing and and pretend to fit in and and all that kind of stuff it's like that you know they 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 really made it a character-driven story you know related to you know Chekhov going from being an NFG to like you know one of the seasoned you know crew members and that kind of arc which is a lot of fun and and it, to me it's also fun like he never he never reveals his hand as the captain but kirk it's great because he has all these thought balloons to himself of oh Chekhov must have hero worship of me just like i had hero worship of you know captain kelly all those years ago but the difference is that He's serving under me, you know, and it's like, I've got to find a way to boost up his ego, you know, like and, and all this. But it's like he never says that out loud and he never he never lets anybody see his hand like a good captain should. But yet he he sort of maneuvers things in such a way to, like, give Chekhov that boost. But then also when Chekhov gets too, you know, it's like, I will cover you, Captain. And, then, and he starts shooting up the whole place. He's like, <laughs> all right. All right, Chekhov, like, pull it back a little bit. Like, let's not get fucking carried away here like let's just get out of here in one piece like you know sometimes you can get carried away too and it's like i i I don't know like like i i think that whole exchange what you know even though it's it's something that's not verbalized to Chekhov you're just like oh man like you, you see like okay yeah Chekhov's a green guy and you go with him through that character arc but you also see like the the mentor character arc where it's like he's he's trying to you know make sure that that Chekhov you know is pointed in the right direction and and expands his horizons and everything but yet he's not he, he's not i don't know like actively you know like okay mister sit in this chair you know punch these control panels like do this do you know he's not micromanaging the poor fuck you know what i mean and it's like okay that's that's a sign of a good you know uh, not only a good captain a good leader but like somebody who who cares about the people that that work under them so like you know and it, it's, it's just a subtle thing but it, it just makes that you know rich where you feel like hey this this is an episode of of star trek you know like it, it feels like everyone is sort of on model on point you know all the way down to spock you know kind of you know promoting all the logical options as they they go down to the planet back to the planet you you know what i think is funny too is i i I know mike was making fun of the whole idea of you know the the prime directive basically because that's always a a stickler in in stories like these and and i almost felt like it, it got like really really strict where it's like fuck they couldn't find one fucking place to beam them up you know like type thing where it's like i'm like shit i mean you know to me i was thinking like they referenced return of the archons and it's like you know when when sulu's trying to make the getaway it's not like they're like oh shit uh these two hooded guys see me i guess i'll just have to stay here you know what i mean (laughs) he's more like beam me the fuck up now you know like so it's like sometimes i was kind of like well, do they do they really have to hide the beaming? Like, and then and then it got even worse in my my head thoughts because I was like, then I'm like, why can't they just like uh, run away J.J. Abrams style and leap off a cliff and then get beamed up? You know, like why, can't they just do crazy ass shit in the prime directive? But, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, th- th- that's just you know, me having head thoughts. but I again, I had a lot of fun with this, and i I, I thought it was, you know really great. and i I know, I'm guessing. I don't know. I I could be wrong, but but let me let me let me broach this as uh, as non spoilery as we can, because cause me and Justin know the answer to this question, but I'm not sure. Have you have you picked up on like the, there there is an unanswered question at the end of this miniseries that I think will become more clear when we read the the second miniseries. But Mike, have you picked up on where these these weapons that they were unsure of their origin have come from yet?
2: No, like I, okay. I didn't, I didn't catch any. There were what any were you... subtle clues or anything. Okay. Like I did not. Were you? Catch them,
0: were you? But... Is is that itching your brain? Like, were you? Were you bothered that that wasn't answered by the well, end? Of well, it,
2: when you? it ended, like, I, you guys did tell me that there's like a sequel, like series to this, like I did in you know the next generation or you know crossover or whatever. So I was like, well, I, I imagine you know whoever gave them those weapons like show shows up in that. But yeah, okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. uh. I didn't stress over it, basically. Okay.
0: Ooh, no, no, no. I I, I just was curious because I, I I I know, like me, I have the pre knowledge of it, so it doesn't it doesn't make me stress. But I was just curious if that was something where you were like, oh, I would have liked to known that or whatever. I mean, in, interestingly enough, these were not not only were these released bi weekly, but I mean, they were. I I don't want to say they were coming out side by side, but I think like the first two issues of this came out in July, and then by August the the next generation miniseries was also coming out in tandem. So it's it's like I, I know Justin sort of, you know, questioned because he's like, oh, we're doing it this way. Like we're just doing the original. Like he wasn't sure if we were going to, you know, read both of them in one show or if we were going to, you know, maybe break it up or something like that. But I just figured, you know what, let's just let's start with the original series miniseries. Kind of get that under our belts and then and then come to the next generation one and, and and let the I guess the revelations sort of fly, I suppose.
2: Well, let me like, and you've already kind of said this, but let me like ask then, like, so this was basically like <laughs> like the cherry popping for like crossovers between like the original series and the next generation. Like because obvi- this was before generations, right?
0: It was before generations. It was before uh, unification, you know the the one where Spock rolls over. Oh yeah, yeah. Up. I mean, basically, I, I all think... you would have
2: had was like McCoy showing up at the end of the pilot, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, I mean, other than McCoy showing up at the end of the pilot, I I want to say I don't know. i I might be off on the dates here, Justin. But is it this is is this even before like Sarek shows up on to to hang with Picard and do the the Vulcan, you know, mind meld thing or whatever.
1: I think Serik has shown up by now.
0: Okay, okay. So, so then, other than McCoy and Serik showing up, like there's, but this is this is definitely before unification. So,
2: yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> like I was trying to, like I was like, 1992 was this out? Like so, I was kind of like trying to figure it out in uh, my head. Like... In summer
0: 1991, but yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So even earlier. So
2: yeah. Oh, that's cool then. Yeah. So but I, I guess I didn't appreciate it in that context. Like I, I was just kind of, you know, like like you told me before we like reread this that like, you know, oh, this is this ties in with a next generation, like mini series, too. And I was like, oh, OK, so. And that's, like, where I thought, like, oh, that's where the guy, whoever left them the weapons must show up in that. But I didn't think of it in the context of, like, you know, what you're saying, like, this is a big deal to you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it kind of was. I mean, again, I'm glad Justin's here to back me up on that, too, because, I mean, to me, I could just, uh, you know, I'm just going off of my, my memories of the time. Like, for all I know, there was some you know novel or you know sticker book or some shit that I don't know about right but but I'm I'm pretty sure based on what Justin is saying as well like that solidifies my you know my memories of of you know the era or the 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 time frame and everything
1: there was an issue of Starlog I remember having and I read it multiple times and it had this extended article about writing for Star Trek and I was like ooh because you know like I you know I was a huge fan and I had aspirations of of writing something for Star Trek, whether it was a, you know, an episode or a comic or a novel. So that got my attention. And I believe they were talking to someone from Pocket Books. And I think they also talked to someone who was like reading the scripts that you could submit, because back in the day you could just, you know, Johnny on the street could submit a script to TNG or Deep Space Nine or Voyager, and they would read it. They didn't... Buy many of these unsolicited scripts, but you could definitely submit them. But anyway, they were talking to this guy, and he basically went down the list of stuff they did not want. They'd seen too much of this, and they couldn't do any of these things. And, like, the number one was, like, you know, don't have original series characters meet, you know, Picard or Cisco or any of these guys. Like, that's all, that's all automatically a no-no. We're going to, like, not even... Touch that story.
0: So, so all uh, five thousand of Peter David's early submissions <laughs> were thrown in the trash.
1: <laughs> and then, um what I thought was really interesting was they went through some rejected script ideas, and there was one like the main like meat of the article. They were talking to this guy. He submitted a script, and it would have been great. Like his script was, the Enterprise D is going through the uh, Mutara Nebula. And then they come under attack by another Federation ship, and they're they're playing this, like, cat-and-mouse game, like Star Trek II, and then when they finally see who it is on the other ship, it's Khan, and he tells them that the Genesis Wave also brought him back to life, and there was going to be, like, this big, you know, special effects battle. They would defeat Khan, and then Picard would stand up and say, you know, computer in program. This was going to be like a test for like Mr. Data. Like there was going to be some problem in the script that was like a a problem or some kind of like morality problem, like a test for Mr. Data that he had to to solve. And I was like, oh, man, like that would have been great. But they they reached out to Ricardo Montalman. He had zero interest in coming back and playing Khan like he was happy to end it with Star Trek, Two. But they had this guy like pitch more ideas, you know, like, oh, that's a great script. That's a great idea. Pitch us more ideas. And some of these other rejected ideas, they they weren't from this guy specifically, but like, there was one idea where like Riker is stranded on a planet and he's being chased by a six armed monkey, and then there was another one where like Jordy falls in love with like a space vampire, like not not the salt vampire from the original series, but like like that. I remember they had this little caricature of like Jordy like hugging on this like lady and kissing on her and there's like a mirror behind him and you can't see like the vampire lady at all mm. i mean i can't remember any of the other ideas ralph top of my head but like it was it was very <laughs> t- like helpful because i was I t- like t-
2: I, i'm sorry I, I just thought there was going to be more to that riker is being trapped chased by a six-armed alien monkey that's so. all it said like
1: it was like a bullet <laughs> point like riker is trapped on a jungle planet is chased by a six-armed monkey and there was a little like cartoon of that it's like riker's swinging on a vine like tarzan and the monkey is right behind him <laughs> wow, it's like
0: uh like riker got to be like uh tony stark with the uh living armor on an island for a minute or something.
1: But uh, I read that issue multiple times because, like I said, I had aspirations of writing something Star Trek. So I was like, okay, these are the do's and these are the don'ts. So like when I was like tinkering with my little ideas, you know, when I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 or 14, I was like, I made sure to like avoid all that stuff.
0: I'm surprised they didn't try to just rework that like without Khan being the punchline. I mean, I know that's a great punchline, but like if it's a holodeck thing like you could you could go down the Rolodex of shit that would be shocking and and, and kind of insert some other thing there, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, if the point was for Data to have a character growth episode and there was some kind of Kobayashi Maru thing he needed to encounter in training, like, you could still do that, but then, you know, it could, it could turn out to be some, some other, you know, fuck, they could get fucking Kang or Koloth or whoever. <laughs> you know, like, some other asshole can be the the guy right like but anyway but yeah that's that's very interesting
2: like you said earlier Derek like they really captured everyone's voices like in this
0: oh, series. yeah it's
2: like I, I I also like I think Spock has like the line where he says something like you know for a largely like illogical being like Dr. McCoy you <laughs> often you know you often like make logical points or something <laughs> like, like, like I could hear Leonard Nimoy like yeah.
1: saying that like yeah yeah yeah, I mean, they, they, Friedman perfectly captured like they, the, uh, argumentative back and forth nature of the relationship. It's, it's really great in this issue. And of course, he, he wrote, I don't know how many, but he wrote many, many, many Star Trek novels from different series too. And I read, I remember if there was, a uh a Friedman or a Peter David novel like on the the book rack. Like that immediately I was like, ooh, I gotta like check this out. Like those were like the top two ones that I was like, Ooh, a new a new Peter David novel. Ooh, a new Friedman novel.
0: You almost you almost sounded like Captain Kirk there for a minute. You're like, ooh, a new ooh. Peter David novel. <laughs> ooh. A new Michael Jan Freeman novel.
1: There's a Peter David novel on the plane. <laughs>
2: I also could hear, like, when Sulu was, like, talking on Chekhov, you know, he was kind of like, you're a green apple, like, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ensign, you're not the first green apple to set foot aboard a starship. You should have seen some of the knuckle-headed moves I pulled. Yay, Sulu.
2: And like, I think I've talked to you guys about this before, but like, sometimes I do find it distracting when they like write in people's accents uh, like into the mm. thing. Like, you know, off and Scotty. Like, they kind of like do that a lot in this series. But... I,
0: I I had I had epic uh, epic uh, uh, friend fights over that with people. Like, I I tended to be on the side of of appreciating it just because it put me in the the zone of 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 what those characters sounded like and and of course you know the the friend and like you're saying you know they they had a problem with it i i kind of you see what's funny though is like i i think it it got to like ridiculous heights where we started talking about thought balloons and 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 then by the end of it he was like yelling at me that they should be you know, translated from French because we we're talking about gambit. But still, the the the, the idea is the same, right? Like th- this is a gambit situation where you know Chekhov is like, "Me, sir," you know, like like you know, "Did you nay hear me talking to you lad? You know, like that whole <laughs> thing. You know, it's like it's it's the it's the Moira M- McTaggart syndrome. You know, it's like they got to write her like like she sounds. It's like you know, type thing. But I I mean you know. I, I can appreciate the argument because because we fought about it for such a long time, so I, I understand where you're coming from. But I guess I've always been kind of like, I I don't know. Like to me, it's like it's like a comics is visual, right? Like so so that's to me that's part of it. It's like you're you're visually communicating that there is a accent to to uh, become accustomed to or overcome you know like and it's like uh, it, to, to me it's like it's like you know okay they start doing uh, uh doctor who comics with uh with uh uh capaldi and and the fact that i can read it without struggling like uh that's a little false to me you know like that's that that doesn't that doesn't quite work for me you know because it's like if i have to listen to the guy i have to struggle right like so but that's that's just where i come from with it
2: yeah that's fine like uh, like uh, i don't know maybe it's like the The grammar pendant in me like that like I'm kind of like what is it like sometimes like my brain resists it like I'm like what is that supposed to be and I'm like okay yeah now I get like I have to say it out loud where I'm like oh okay yeah
0: I guess I guess that's true too because it must be like a strange thing when you when you read things in your head and you you mispronounce them as a kid you know and then and then that the fact that it's of course not written in in proper english you know then 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 that's also there's a there's a resistance to that as well
1: nuclear whistles
0: (laughs) whistles
2: i also like um there's like that brief scene with uhura talking to the men on the bridge and uh Mm -hmm. and like there's also a scene with the nurse chapel like you know just just so they're both like kind of not essential to the plot but they're like kind of character building scenes like and i appreciated those like
0: yeah i think i think all that stuff the the the, to to me i i viewed those as kind of like the 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 day shift swing shift grave shift you know kind of things like i i imagine those the the, that personnel you know would either be relieving certain characters or or maybe specifically like that yeoman could have relieved uhura if she was about to go you know have a lunch break or something, you know what I mean? So it's like that. That that to me is a, an acknowledgement, like, hey, it's like the you know these guys can't can't run the ship twenty four seven forever, right? There's got to be some relief for them, you know. Even though when you're watching the TV series, it seems like they're the only people that 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 man the the communications console or whatever.
2: It was kind of a good like the Horus particular. It was a good like you know exploration of like what she does basically like because you know you know even michelle nichols at some point was kind of like you know oh i just answered the phone basically on that show but you know it, it's it kind of expanded like her importance as like you know the communications like expert kind of
1: yeah
0: prince adam that still makes me <laughs>
2: that's what i thought of Yeah, you know, when i saw her i'm like uh, did some a lot of those guys had like a sort of attorney vibe with their clothing? Mm. Beyond the next generation, like miniseries that is parallel with this, did they ever do anything else with this planet?
0: Um, I don't think so. I don't think so.
2: Like maybe I don't know. They mention it on a later TV show or comic.
0: No, I I, I kind of feel like this is the the main time that it came up. Just curious. I I I don't you know, I just did a quick look. I mean I don't see anything immediately on uh, Star Trek Beta or anything like that, other than than these books and everything. So and that's what keeps coming up when I when I look so just idly curious. Modala, also known as Beta Domeron five, was a class M planet located in the beta Domarone Star System. It was the homeworld of Modalan Civilization. Let's see. Yeah, the, the only references they have are the th- this mini series and then the follow-up next generation miniseries that we're gonna talk about. So I think pretty definitively, if it's not on if it's not on memory beta, then I, I don't think they followed up in any other medium. I mean I, I kind of feel like I've exhausted any of my you know specific thoughts on the miniseries the only other thing is i have left is just me looking through some of these old ads and getting member berries from from shit i used to read back then from dc comics or like those star trek card card sets and stuff that they're advertising
1: yeah i had some of those uh 20, 25th anniversary cards
0: yeah all right well i I think I think this is going to wrap up our discussion on the original series Modala Imperative. Of course, if you if you stick with us, we will we will be discussing the next generation series. I don't think that's a spoiler, and probably in the following week. And if you guys have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you're like, well, what do you mean that guy looks like Prince Adam? You can send us angry angry emails at Fanholes Podcast at gmail.com if you want to yell at mike for his his sultry comments about uhura you know send us some angry emails and the backlog of our episodes can be found over at fanholspodcast.blogspot.com so you can direct download all the backlog of episodes of comics motherfucker do you read them they can be direct download on the blogspot And we can be found on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. And we can be found on streaming services all over the interwebs. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So until the next time... This is Derek. Derek W C. You know, Fanhole's podcast was invented by the Russians. Signing off.
2: Hey, it's Mike. You say you want a revolution.
1: This is Justin. Signing off.
2: Let me ask you guys this. Mike? Did they ever do anything else with this? Like.
1: Mike? Come in, laddie. You're breaking up.
0: You, you broke up, lad.
2: <laughs> Can't hear me now?
0: Yeah, it was a little silony, but yes.
2: That's weird. Oh,
0: I'll, 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 I'll just repeat
2: what I said. Okay.
1: Um. Yeah, I did like
2: I did kind of feel bad for Scotty when you were, you know, you were saying like, why can't they just like beam him out of there, and they're just like. Oh like we lost their their signals like we can't beam them out of here. Oh great. Oh now we found like you know Captain Kirk and Chekhov. but we lost Spock and McCoy. Like oh for god's sakes. Yeah.